daily digest of the who, what, and why of Waterloo Region. Welcome to Kitchener Today on City News 570. Welcome to Kitchener Today. This is Ian McLean. I'm your guest host for today for the show. Uh, always a pleasure to be on, on City News 570. And uh, uh, I really appreciate uh, producer Brent and executive producer Brittany for uh, making this as easy as possible. Um, I uh, uh, This is my second Friday in a row of doing Kitchener Today. And uh, so it's a pleasure to be back. Uh, we got a full show today. I uh, got some great guests. We're going to um, uh, we're going to be joined by some of my favorite people uh, in just a minute. We're going to be joined by Kitchener Mayor Barry Verbenovic. Um, later in the show, we'll be joined by Ron Coddle, the Codfather himself. He's the owner of Coddle's Catch, but he's going to talk to us about a great event coming up at the beginning of April as we start to open up and have uh, exciting things happening in the in the community where we can start to get together safely. Um, then we're going to be joined by Jennifer Saberis. She's the CEO of Simplify Chain, uh, Supply Chain Solutions. Um, Catherine Fife's going to join us. She's, of course, the uh, NDP MPP for Waterloo and their uh, finance critics. So it's, uh, as we t- think about the provincial budget and the upcoming uh, provincial election, joined also by Bill Creighton. He's the chief excitement officer at Chicopee Ski Hill and Resort. And uh, we're really looking forward to hearing from him about what's happening at March break and then some of the exciting news that's happening at Chicopee. And then finally, at the end of the show, we're going to be joined by Ontario's Green Party leader, Mike Schreiner. He's going to talk uh, about many things, but they also, they, one of them is a really interesting mental health proposal that uh, that they're putting forward for the for the upcoming provincial election. So without further ado, let's get started. Welcome to the show. I'm joined by a good friend of the Chamber of Commerce. Uh, That's where I'm in my day job. I'm the president CEO of the Greater Kitchen Waterloo Chamber of Commerce. But Barry will be familiar to many of people listening today. Uh, Welcome to the show, Barry. Thank you for taking pity and filling one of my uh, slots here today uh, as we as we try and do the show for the next three hours. Thanks, uh, thanks, Ian, and it's really uh, great to great to join you. I see that they've gone to the seasoned pros uh, to uh, to help fill in the the slot. I I know it'll be hard to uh, to replace uh, Brian, but uh, going to one of our regular weekly business to business co-hosts uh, was just the logical place for them to land. I, I just hope we don't lose you from the chamber and and see you you know become a permanent full time radio star. No, I, I, I highly doubt that that would be on the agenda. But I would say, having done the the weekly business to business show, it took eleven years. I just want to say eleven years of doing business to business for them to invite me to do uh, a three hour block. They they really wanted to test to make sure we were go. But listen, lots to get to in the next half hour. 
Um, and let's start off with what I think is, um, you know, I, I, it's positive and, and exciting news that we're getting towards the, I would say, the last quarter in football meta- metaphors of, of COVID-19. We're not all the way there, but we are seeing the loosening of public health measures. Maybe just your thoughts on where we're at. And, and while it's a positive and certainly some of the developments around um, loosening of those restrictions, where do you think we're at as a, as a community? Listen, Ian, I, I think we, we have to acknowledge, and today being uh, March 11th, which is the two-year mark um, that the World Health Organization uh, designated um, COVID-19 as a, as a global pandemic, um, you know, I, th- I think it would be appropriate to start to just, uh, you know, ref- reflect uh, on all the, the literally thousands upon thousands of, of lives, in fact, millions of lives lost around the world uh, to this global pandemic. Uh, including many in our own community. And, uh, you know, our thoughts obviously goes out to the, the, the families and, and friends of, of all those who, uh, who have lost their lives uh, in, in the pandemic. Uh, having said that, uh, you know, I think we're moving to uh, certainly a, a phase where everyone or, or certainly many people are, are looking to start getting beyond the pandemic and looking to see life return to a new normal recognizing that there are things through all of this that we should continue to practice, like some of the good public health advice, you know, doing a better job of washing our hands, staying at home when we're sick and not coming into the office thinking, oh, it's just a minor cold and I'm going to, you know, it's no big deal. I'm still going to go into work. You know, wearing masks sometimes. You know, I, I said recently to someone, I'm not sure that even with the mask mandate coming off on things like international flights and so on, I'll probably still wear a mask going forward because I feel more comfortable that way. <clears throat> and so I think that really is is the message as we go forward is um, it's certainly an exciting time. I think many of us are ready. We need to recognize some aren't either because of their own you know, sense of security or their own health reasons. And so let's really put double down on this effort of being kind, being understanding, showing some grace towards others as they continue to manage through this, whether it's by, you know, when they want need to stay virtual, whether it's, you know, uh, um, still wearing a mask as an example, uh, people should be able to make those choices now. Yeah, no, and I think that's a good point. We see, even with the COVID numbers that we see today, just as an example, there's still 2,130 cases, new cases across the province of Ontario today. So, Positive news, we're, and, and certainly the key uh, health measures, public health measures of hospitalizations, ICU, and uh, are, are coming down. So that's the positive, positive part of it. But COVID's still out there. And I think we're, we're seeing that. And I, I know I have family members, friends, you know, many people that are seeing that they are still contracting COVID. The good news is because we're so well vaccinated that in most cases, it's mild. You're going to recover. But uh, I, I think it does speak to your comment of as we lose restrictions or loosen restrictions, uh, that that everyone's going to be, it's going to be a different timetable for every person and every business when they feel comfortable. And, and I've said, uh, uh, you know, as we start to start back into in-person events at the chamber, we will probably still keep mask and vaccine verification for at least a short term 
so that we feel comfortable that we can welcome our guests and uh, and our speakers and 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 my staff are feeling comfortable with where we're at. So everyone's going to have a different timetable on that. And I think it's it's wise words uh, that you say is let's all have a little bit of grace and a little bit of uh, uh, an openness that everyone's going to be different. Listen, um, we're, we've got lots to cover. There's no shortage of things to talk about today, Barry. But let me let me start with. Um, um, let's let's go to some exciting news. One of the things that Kitchener has been, uh, your council and your staff have been working on, is make it Kitchener and and some of the the things as we come out of COVID. When you talk about make make it Kitchener, what is that? And and you know how are we going to uh, uh, see that come to life uh, in in real time? Sure. So Make It Kitchener uh, 2.0 now is actually our new uh, economic development strategy, which we, uh, in fact, issued in the midst of the pandemic. Um, we issued it uh, last uh, last fall. Um, and um, what it, um, you know, it's really the, the focus the city will continue to put uh, on economic development over the next decade. Uh, many will recall Make It Kitchener 1.0, and it really built on uh, the work that was done with our $110 million Economic Development Investment Fund, um, the initial partnership with the University of Waterloo with the School of Pharmacy, the partnership with Laurier in terms of the School of Social Work, the work that we did downtown with Communitech in terms of uh, attracting uh, startups and scale-ups to the, to the community, all those kinds of things. So this is really taking it to the next level. And when we announced it, um, or when we, you know, we were planning to announce it, it really was something that um, obviously, you know, when we started doing the work, we weren't contemplating a global pandemic. Um, so it allowed us to actually delay it a little bit and, and, and build in some economic recovery uh, pieces to it, uh, which, you know, we've already been involved in and will continue to be involved in going forward. Um, beyond that, um, the... I, I know you're getting a little bit of a buzz, and I think it's the fan in the computer. Apologies. Okay. <laughs> um, the, um, but what I will say is, you know, what's exciting is that despite the pandemic, we very much kept a, um, we're, we're, we, we kept things going forward. And so the first thing we announced with the University of Waterloo was the new health innovation arena. Um, which is you know one of the focuses, and then more recently um, we just announced the, our use of the uh, the BMO building, um, which was the the old building at Two Queen Street at King and Queen, and that is going to become a new uh, SDG uh, collaboration space um, that's really going to allow us to focus on uh, equity seeking uh, businesses. Um, sustainability-related businesses and social enterprises going forward. So we're really excited about that because it's a it's a new way of of adding to what is already a very thriving innovation sector in, uh, in not only in Kitchener but throughout Waterloo Region. Well, and I think those are those are exciting opportunities because it also provides another way to draw people to our downtown and uptown cores, which is so important not only for Kitchener but certainly Waterloo. And Cambridge and having these these types of uh, investments and and intentional uh, policies to, to to bring people down downtown um, uh, is is a great thing. Listen, um, you know we've got a couple of minutes and then we're going to take a quick break. And on the other side of the break, we've got lots to talk about. Um, as we as we start to think about, um, 
well, as we as we're starting to come out of this, maybe going back to the last two years, this has been a really trying time for, and I've had a front row seat being part of what is called the Pandemic Control Group, which is all the uh, public health officials, the mayors, the um, administration, hospital presidents, uh, as we've been trying to navigate as a community through this. You've played a leading role along with with your colleagues. Um, at mayors of the city. What are some of your reflections on the last two years? I mean, it's been a very difficult time, but what are what are some of the things, both positive and negative, you take away from it? You know, that's a, it's a great question, Ian. And, and what I would say to you, one of the things that um, I, I think the last two years demonstrated, um, and I'm not trying to be cliche here, but has really been that barn raising spirit of, of, of Waterloo Region. And, you know, when I talk to my colleagues in, in other jurisdictions, uh, many marvel at how well we came together. Um, you know, the, 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 the region and the lower tier municipalities, the business community, healthcare, as you've identified, um, and others at different points in time in order to, to really take a, a coordinated approach in terms of tackling the challenges of the pandemic. And so I, I often say, and I say this certainly to my own council and, and leadership team at the city, um, so, so grateful for the opportunity to, to lead through this challenging uh, period of time with that group, but also with the broader regional group and to see how our community has come together. I mean, everybody has really rolled up their sleeves over the two years. Uh, throughout the community, whether it was initially in terms of responding to healthcare workers, essential workers, and so on, showing gratitude, so showing support when it was needed, supporting our small businesses and our restaurants, that's been key. Um, and that will continue to be key going forward because we want them to come out of this being incredibly successful. But the last point I'm going to want to make is, you know, as we reflect on going forward, Ian, I think it's all about not only looking at what are the lessons learned in building back better, but also building back differently in uh, in certain aspects. Well, I think it's a that's a that's a very good point because what we will see is as we reopen, it's not going to reopen. Uh, we talked about this at the beginning in the same way for everyone, but it's also going to be different times. And each business, industry, not for profit, and individual will probably have a new routine, and that's going to mean that we're going to have to. Uh, uh, understand what that looks like and how we make different decisions, whether it's at the municipal, provincial, federal level, but also in terms of our just our regular day to day lives. So, um, uh, but I, I just thought as we close and go go to break, um, I've I've found that even just amongst the business community, like setting up business economic support team of Waterloo Region, which is the two chambers, Communitech, Explore Waterloo, and and uh, Waterloo Economic Development Corporation, we've never worked closer together. And always in the best interest of the community, um, as well as our organizations individually. So, and I know I've seen that in how the communities have worked together, how the public health people, the police, the fire, emergency services, everyone, you know, the vaccine rollout, everyone's had to be on the same page. Uh, and that's been really gratifying to see because we need more of that in a increasingly complex and global world where we can't do things alone. We must do them together. And uh, so I think that's maybe one of the green shoots that have come out of what has been a terrible uh, COVID period. Listen, we're going to take a quick break. On the other side of the break, uh, we'll we'll come back and continue our conversation with Barry Vervanovic. He's the mayor of Kitchener. This is Kitchener Today on City News 570.
guest host, Ian McLean. I'm the president and CEO of the Greater Kitchener-Waterloo Chamber of Commerce. And just before the break, we were joined by our good friend, Barry Burbanovic. He, of course, is the mayor of Kitchener. We just have a few minutes left, Barry, but before I let you go, I wouldn't wouldn't be doing my job if I wasn't uh, asking about some things that are coming up um, that are of importance to our community and should be important to everybody. There's a provincial election, I hear, that's coming up on June the 2nd, and um, leaving the partisan piece aside, what are the issues that we should be focusing on as a community um, that, that will drive the next four years, and, and what should we be wanting to hear from um, the leaders of, of the, uh, the, the parties uh, as we think about the election? You know, I think there's a number of things, Ian, obviously looking at uh, economic uh, development coming out of the pandemic and what economic recovery will look like and supporting those sectors of the economy that are going to be an important part of it. Um, it continued infrastructure investment for municipalities uh, will be key. Um, and in particular, you know, we locally we think about things like uh, seeing uh, the ION extended down into Cambridge. We think about things like uh, the Highway 7. Uh, expansion and obviously two-way all-day go uh, which is a key key part and we want to see that continue uh, to to move forward and then the last point that I'll make is a, a key part of growing any city is a strong health care system we're seeing those investments in other parts of the province and I know that dialogue has started uh, locally um, and seeing what that will look like in terms of our, our making sure that the gains that we've made during COVID continue going forward but that we really start looking at a 22nd century a, um, a 22nd century approach to sorry 21st century approach to looking at uh, our, the future of our healthcare system locally. Well, I think that's so important. We know uh, the, the vulnerabilities, and we've we've certainly seen that uh, as we've had to have uh, province-wide uh, lockdowns, is primarily because our healthcare system was not resilient enough when we had in uh, increases in cases of COVID. So. It's going to be a topic of discussion. And I guess, uh, you know, as we start to, we're hosting each of the four, the Chamber of Commerce is hosting each of the four leaders over the coming month or so uh, to hear. And really the theme is for us is going to be, what's your plan to get Ontario fully open and staying open safely? And certainly healthcare is an important one for the whole province. But here in Waterloo Region, we know we've been underinvested in in terms of hospital infrastructure and health in, in infrastructure, but a huge key component to economic uh, wealth and opportunities for people. So thank you for uh, for kind of reinforcing the things that we're going to do. And we value the partnership we have with all our municipalities uh, and the business community because we, in, to a large degree, have a very common view of the things that are important to the uh, to the community um, that, that drive uh, wealth and prosperity, not only for us, but for the province. Ian, this is just a huge thank you, actually, to to you, to Communitech, and to Waterloo EDC for for the leadership that you've shown collectively uh, and with the Cambridge Chamber uh, over the last two years uh, of the pandemic. I mean, obviously, you guys have been doing great work for a long time, but in in this time in particular, um, that that leadership has been so important, and we really appreciate the, the partnership. All right, that's great. Now, in the, we're about. I'm getting a wave from uh, producer Brent. But I can't let you get away because I we always are trying to break news here on, on Kitchener Today on City News 570. There is a municipal election coming up in the fall. Anything you'd like to announce here on the show today? Well, golly gee, look at that clock. I think he's got to go to break. Uh, Ian. Okay. 
Uh, okay, so you're not you're, in the city, but we'll share some news in the not too distant future. Okay, so he's not prepared to break news today, but that's okay. I will make sure that you come back into 570 and to break that news when the time is right. Listen, it's always a pleasure to have you. Thanks so much for spending some of your day. I know how busy you are um, uh, with, the, with the work you do for, as mayor of the city of Kitchener. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Have a great weekend. All right, we've been joined by our good friend Barry Vervanovic. He is the mayor of Kitchener. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back after the break. This is Kitchener Today on City News 570. Welcome back to Kitchener, uh, Kitchener Today on City News 570. I'm Mia McLean, President and CEO of the Greater Kitchener Waterloo Chamber of Commerce and erstwhile host of Business to Business on City News 570 with my friend Greg DeRocher. And I'm filling in today for the City News or Kitchener Today. <laughs> and I, what I've done as, as dear listeners, you've been, been very patient with me and, and as I'm learning the ropes uh, producer Brent and pr- executive producer Brittany are doing a fabulous job trying to, they're not working with much talent here. So uh, it's, it's really good that they're going, but I, what I've tried to do is I try and bring along some of my favorite people who I know are good interviews. And one of the best that I've ever had on business to business and it just in general is our next guest. And we are joined by Ron Cottle. And of course he is the Codfather. As the owner and founder of Coddle's Catch, uh, which is based in Kitchener, but frankly does business all over the country. And we'll get to that maybe after the break. Um, but well, welcome to the show, Ron. Thanks, Ian. Uh, I'm, I'm coming to you live from uh, downtown Halifax, my, uh, my hometown. I'm down here on some, uh, some personal business and some uh, fishy business. Well, <laughs> n- nowhere better to do fishy business than in the <laughs> East Coast. But the, because you are such a community guy and you do a whole bunch for Grand River Hospital, take an, take, pick a charity, you and your business and your, uh, your family are doing something in the community, but you're a community booster. So even when you're in Halifax, you're thinking about things that are happening here in Waterloo Region. And one of the things we wanted to talk about today was the KW <laughs> Wine and Food Show, which is coming up, and you'll have to help me. Is it April 1st and 2nd? Yes, April 1st from 5 to 10.30 and April 2nd from 12 to 10.30. So we're, we're very proud to be a sponsor of this show. Um, it started about seven years ago. We've been closed two years for COVID. So we've been the main sponsor because we really believe in community, like you said. And, and communities not only giving back to charities, but making our community a better place. So this is a show, Ian, with the scope of what you would have to drive to Hamilton or Toronto for. And we think the people in KW and our region deserve to have a show like this. And that's why we got behind it. So so describe, and many of us will have been in there. There have been, I've been to this before years ago, but it's been a while. And we've had yep. two years where we think we're never going to be getting back to this. Describe what the night looks like on either the Friday or the Saturday. What would what would one do uh, at the show, and who would be the types of um, exhibitors and, and activities that are, that you're going to see? Yeah, so um, Coddle's Catch obviously has a big thing in there. So the 
the process is you go in and uh, you get your tickets and then you get your uh, sample tickets to try some uh, beer, wine, spirits and food. And don't try to drink or eat makeup for the last two years all in one night. <laughs> but some of the some of the uh, vendors there are uh, uh, Mountain Oak Cheese is going to be there. Chef D is going to be there uh, with some Pillars products. Pizza Fellas are going to be there. There'll be a number of local breweries, Waterloo Brewing, Landshark, Dixon Distilleries, Anderson's Craft Ale. Uh, Powerhouse Brewery, Lock Street Brewery, Sons of Kent. There's there's so much from around our region. And then there's some from Essex, Keeley Island Estate Winery is going to be there, Cooper's Hawk. Uh, we have some people from the Niagara area. Mark Anthony Wines and Spirits is going to be there. Uh, there's going to be Matt and Steve making Caesars. Uh, that, they're a fun group to uh, to try stuff. So lots and lots of vendors. I think we're up to over 60 now uh, for food, wine, and spirits. Really, the focus is on uh, local and then Ontario and then Canada, but more more local in southern Ontario than anywhere. Um, so uh, great, great ideas. We're going to have a couple music stages. Uh, we've got uh, Justin Mackey Band is there on Friday night. Saturday night, we have Buck 20. And uh, some local talent, the Bees, Jeanette, and uh, Colin Gray's going to be there, and he was just nominated for an award. There's a there's a food stage demo, so there's going to be lots of lots of demos on how to cook some of the product. Those are always uh, fun ideas. There's going to be some theme lounges. So Ian, tons of stuff to do. Tons of stuff to do. Now this is a, it's it's obviously um, something a, a family could go and see. I mean, if a mom and dad want to take their kids. There's food to eat. There's things to do. There'll be activities. Um, and, and I, 19, 19 plus. Okay, 19 you do plus, have to be nineteen 19 plus. plus. Okay, that's yes. important. Yeah. So, so that yes. as you're doing planning, it is yeah. and and I miss this. Uh, forgive me. Is it a is it Bingham's? Where is it going to be held? It's sorry, it's going to be at the uh, Kitchener Odd Complex. Oh, Kitchener Odd. Okay. Yep. And so you can go. You can go online uh, kwwineandfoodshow.com. Uh, you, you're advised to buy tickets there because they they expect to sell out because we've been closed for two years, so people want to get out. Um, the uh, we'll be following all the Waterloo health guidelines so you can feel uh, safe and secure when you're at the event. Uh, all the vendors have had to uh, fill out all of their forms of, uh, you know, that they're going to follow all the rules and, uh, and doing uh, samples of the uh, wine and the food. Uh, but you're, you're, you're best to go online and pre-book your tickets. Uh, I believe there's $17 online. Um, and uh, that, that'll be the best way to do it. Go to the Seven, website. Seventeen bucks—that's a steal at twice the price. Seventeen bucks is a is a great way to take some some friends or your colleagues yeah. or your staff out and, and go and have a, yeah. an ability where you, you know it, it's a group, but you're in a big venue where you've got yeah. it. It feels though that you're you're kind of you've got some of that uh, that openness that I think some of us are still going to be thinking about as we as we come out of the, these pandemic restrictions. Yeah, and and you know. It's a great idea to take some friends or some colleagues, maybe even family, if you like your family. And uh, always, always try to always try to find somebody that doesn't drink, so you have a designated driver, right? Or, you, or we can talk to our friends at driver's seat. They uh, they're, yes. they're a good option if you if you if you go and and have too good a time. Exactly. Listen, um, let's talk a little bit about, and we always do this. Uh, 
um, at the Chamber of Commerce is these things don't happen without partners. And I presume that uh, Kitchener, uh, the city of Kitchener uh, is, is a partner, but you know, and you've mentioned some of the, the firms that are there, but are there sponsors that help put this together? Because these things, my events don't happen, any event uh, for any charity, they don't happen without business people like yourself uh, saying this is an important investment for our community, something important for us to do. So maybe give a little bit of a, of a description of who are some of those folks that have really brought this to life. Yeah, so uh, there's a professional company that runs this event, so uh, that's why we're um, confident getting behind it. This this is fully professional show, uh, and they've been doing it now, like I said, for five years minus uh, or seven years minus the two. Uh, there's there's lots of local sponsors. Peak Realty is stepping up uh, to help out. Ninety one five is is uh, helping out uh, with some of the promotions. Obviously, five seventy News is helping out. Um, proceeds for this event uh, and that's why I, I make some stipulations when I'm a sponsor is uh, we have proceeds going to the local KW Food Bank and uh, also to the Grand River Hospital Foundation so two of my favorite charities in town so uh, uh, we're making sure that they get a cut of the proceeds and uh, they will be at the show as well to uh, to uh, talk to people uh, people can make a donation right at the show Coddles is doing some of our tickets go right back to the food bank and the hospital foundation as part of our uh, give back to them as well. So listen, you know, now I have to admit, I I can't remember if I drove my daughter to school today um, or not. So (laughs) it's hard to imagine what two or three years ago looked like. Uh, what were the numbers like? I mean, you've been involved in this before. You, you, we, in fact, I'm pretty sure we had you on business to business to talk about this several times. Yeah. Give us a sense of the types of numbers that that would happen. Like, how many people would come through on a Friday night or through the Saturday? Yeah, I think they're doing, looking at five thousand people on Friday and probably ten thousand plus on Saturday over the course of the day. And you can buy a ticket for Friday night, you can buy a ticket for Saturday afternoon, or you can buy a ticket for Saturday night. So, kind of three, three, three chunks. Uh, yeah, yeah, three chunks that you can go to, um, or all of them if you're so inclined. But uh, I, I suspect one you're going to get your full because there's there's going to be some uh, some good spirits and some good food to try out there. So you go for you buy your ticket and say you go on Saturday afternoon. You go for two or three hours and then they'll sort of end it off and take a bit of a break and get ready for the evening session. But two or three hours you're going to get around. You're going to see all these you know as yep. you say cheese the food. You're going to see Chef D. You'll see other restaurants. Yep. Uh, the music uh, enjoy a a sip of wine or beer and some food and listen to music. Um, it sounds like just a great social social opportunity uh, while at the same time supporting our local businesses. It, it absolutely correct. And you'll, you'll see your neighbors and friends and family there. Uh, you, you always see people running into each other and say, Hey, I haven't seen you for a while. Well, now it's going to be, I haven't seen you in two years. Yeah. yeah. So there, there's going to be a lot of long chats. I, I suspect that this thing, like I said, it's expected to sell out. So get your tickets as early as you can. And, uh, it's on, it's on two sides. So lots of room. One of the, one of the things we're mandating and doing that we don't have to do based it out as much as we can just to be, uh, you know, responsible for, uh, for some of the rules. And uh, yeah, you're 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 going to meet a lot of people there that uh, you maybe haven't seen, uh, like you said, in two years. Listen, um, let, let's uh, let's make sure we don't bury the lead here. 
once again, where what's, what's the cost? Where do people go for tickets? Um, yep. All that sort of good stuff. So uh, kwwineandfoodshow.com. Go on there. You'll get all your information. The date is April 1st and April 2nd. It's at the Kitchener Memorial Auditorium Complex. So lots of uh, free parking there. There's over 60 vendors and wine, craft beer and spirits. And, of course, lots of seafood. <laughs> Lots of seed, but of course, <laughs> if the Codfather's involved in it, there, there naturally would be. Listen, um, maybe let's talk a little bit about, before we go to, we'll, we'll have you back. We're going to take a little news break in about five minutes. Okay. Um, but I wanted to touch on a couple of other things. Um, one is, and you mentioned it briefly, I think you undersold the amount that um, you per- you personally and, and Coddle's Catch invest in charities, not-for-profits, and community groups. One that I know is you were president of the, or chair of the Grand River Hospital Foundation. You've put a lot of time into that. Um, What we know is that St. Mary's and Grand River have worked very closely together through the pandemic. We've been very fortunate that the government put additional resources into having, I think it's almost 230 additional beds, which are frankly, quote, quote, COVID beds. Mm-hmm. But we actually needed those before COVID. Um, what's your sense of of, um, of the importance of making further investments in healthcare? Just because uh, we're such a growing community, and, you, and you've seen it firsthand as chair of the foundation board. Mm-hmm. So, great question, Ian. And uh, you know, I think the pandemic unfortunately highlighted some uh, areas of need in the uh, in the healthcare system. Uh, and and our, our region is, is really lucky. We got some great leaders, some great CEOs in the three hospitals. And uh, but I, I think what people seen is the is the difference that we can make. And that's what's so exciting for me is that people now understand some of the needs like that we that we are raising money for. And if our community raises money, the government gives us more money. So we we want to continue to do that and we hope it's opened a lot of eyes in our community that that we can and we deserve and we can make a difference through the foundations for the healthcare in our region there's a lot of campaigns going on right now one of them's called Scotland Yard where they're where they're uh, doing a campaign to uh, get a kids cancer center right in our area which which we deserve we're the 10th biggest region in uh, in Canada and we deserve to have uh, top notch healthcare We've got some great leaders in the foundations and some and some great CEOs uh, leading our healthcare, and I think the community has to get more behind it. As you can tell, I'm a little passionate about it, yeah. and uh, I, I think people educate themselves. They find out the difference that they can make in our community, a legacy that they can leave in our community, and get behind it. And it's not just money. Sometimes it's your time and your ideas that help out, too. Well, for sure. And I, I mean, I've been at the chamber coming up 11 and a half years and you were one of the first people, well, I knew you before, but, but as we, we were starting to work on it, and this is one of those issues that you were putting a lot of time into. And I must say, maybe just the last two minutes, I'll, I'll pass to you. It didn't always seem to me that Grand River and Cambridge Memorial and um, St. Mary's were always on the same page. There seemed to be very siloed. They were competing I don't see that anymore. I, I what in fact what we see is the, the need for investment. All three of the C- CEOs, Patrick from Cambridge Memorial, uh, yep. Lee from St. Mary's, and Ron from uh, from Grand River, all recognize it's a health system and that we need investments in the system. 
uh, regardless of where it's physically located. Uh, is, is it your sense that we're, we're much better uh, further along that path? We, we, are, we are for sure uh, stronger together. And unfortunately, maybe this pandemic highlighted that for us. Uh, like I said before, we have great leadership in all three hospitals and all three foundations. And, and I think they, uh, the public has seen it, what they can do together. And I think they're going to encourage that trend going forward to make our healthcare system in the region stronger together. All right. We're going to leave it there. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with more on the other side of the break with the Codfather himself. This is Kitchener Today on City News 570. All right, we're back on Kitchener today on City News 570. I'm your host, Ian McLean, President of the Greater Kitchener-Waterloo Chamber of Commerce. Just before the break, we were uh, in conversation with the codfather himself, the owner of uh, Coddle's Catch, uh, Ron Coddle. Um, Ron, as we in the last few minutes that we have together, um, we, 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 we covered off the, the, the wine and food show. Uh, we've covered off a little bit of... of um, the 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 things that make this community great i guess i i want to reflect on get your reflections on maybe the last two years you're you're a you know you're a, a retailer um you know you've had your ups and downs i'm sure um, but probably got through it better than some but you certainly mm-hmm. serve the restaurant and hospitality sector and there's many that are still hurting and so what's your reflections on the last two years and what are some of the things we need to do as we come out to support that part of the economy that has been so badly hurt. Yeah, Ian, uh, at Coddles, uh, we lost uh, 66% of our business overnight when uh, when the pandemic hit. We had to re-strategize, refocus on where we were going to go. And the needs were in retail and online and curbside pickup to make it safe for people. So that's what we did. And, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's all coming back now, so it's great. But uh, a lot of these food service people need some help. I encourage everybody to get out and support them as much as they can. They, they really do need uh, our uh, compassion or uh, they, 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 they need us to be, uh, you know, go to them and uh, uh, support them in any way we can, whether it's takeout on their patios, inside dining. Uh, you know, they stuck through it uh, with uh, with uh, some subsidies, but not probably enough to sustain uh, any type of uh, strength. So so my, my message is get out there and help them any way that you can. Um, the, the hospitality industry and the restaurant industry, you know, a vacation at home. There's some great local hotels that you can go to uh, that need help before uh, the big uh, tourist season hits. And hopefully that'll be uh, great this year. But, you know, vacation at home is a big thing and uh, support uh, every part of the uh, food service and hospitality as much as you can. Well, I think it's 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 one of those those pieces that, that I don't think people understand, uh, necessarily intuitively understood. But, you know, you were a retailer, so that you were able to keep that open. But a big chunk of your business is supplying the restaurants. Mm-hmm. And, and that, mm-hmm. that was, to a large extent, much of that Zero. was closed for a, lo- for a long period of time. So, um, so you know, you, you've navigated and, and, and well, I mean, my, my 
observation of you and your family and your team is that you're innovators and you probably reacted well to that online and doing retail and curbside and doing all of those sorts of things. Um, but as we as we think about um, in the 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 as we get to the summer, we're going to have we just talked about the wine and food show. There's other things coming. And one of the things that you're involved in is a pretty big, exciting um, a golf tournament that's coming, a professional yep. golf tournament. Um, t- describe how those types of things can really help kickstart the the hospitality and tourism and attractions um, uh, part of the economy. Yeah, you know what it is. It is. Uh, it is spring. Summer's coming. Golf is uh, forefront uh, on a lot of people's minds. Uh, we at Coddles are involved in three golf tournaments. We run our own charity golf tournament for the. We missed two years, so this will be our thirty-second year. Uh, we give back to the uh, Grand River Hospital Foundation. Uh, we. I also uh, help with a tournament at uh, Deer Ridge where we raise. Uh, $100,000 in one day to give to uh, four local kids' charities. Uh, so we'll be glad to get that back on the books. That's in May. And then, of course, uh, the PGA Canada Tour Championship is going to be at Deer Ridge this year. Uh, so I've uh, I've volunteered to uh, chair that. And um, it's going to bring – the reason I got involved with it, Ian, is it's going to bring 3 to $4 million to our region for uh, – restaurants for hotels the whole hospitality industry it'll be a big boost for uh, our local uh, restaurants and uh, hotels to give them uh, to kick off their uh, their uh, season this is in september september 12th 18th and it's a national event it's a national event that they've held all across canada and we are really proud to have it here at uh, deer ridge we're also going to help those four kids charities. So we're getting some money from the tournament for them as well. And, uh, you know, I just think it's a big thing for our region to be able to come out of this pandemic, help some charities, give uh, millions of dollars back into our community and the, and the businesses that need it the most. Yeah. And, and I think you're, uh, you are working closely with Leslie, uh, uh, Gallagher, Gallagher. who, uh, yep. is, uh, extraordinary, uh, a woman we worked with her, Greg and I did, as we were helped getting up and running the rapid screening uh, test kits um, in, what, April of last year, almost a year ago. Uh, yeah, yeah. Really talented at, at putting these things together. So you got a top-notch group. you got a great golf course, obviously, and a great opportunity to to support, as you say, the community, but but even more of that hospitality and tourism sector. Listen, Thank you for taking time. We we interrupted your trip to Halifax, but thank you for joining us from Halifax. Really appreciate your time today, Ron. Thanks a lot, Ian. Have a great weekend, and I hope you get to come to Halifax soon. I'm coming next week. All right, we've been uh, we've been joined by our good friend Ron Cottle. He, of course, is the owner and founder of Cottle's Cast. It's time for a news break. Uh, coming up after the uh, the news break, we'll chat with Jennifer Sabera. She's the CEO of Simplify Supply Chain. Uh, services. This is Kitchener Today on City News 570. Welcome back to uh, Kitchener Today on City News 570. I'm your guest host, for the afternoon, Ian McLean, President and CEO of the Greater Kitchener-Waterloo Chamber of Commerce. 
Welcome to hour two of our three hours together today. Um, I'm joined by another good friend of mine and of the uh, Chamber of Commerce and of the business community, Jennifer Saberis, and she is the CEO of Simplify Supply Chain Service or Solutions. Um, and uh, welcome to the show. It's great to have you with us today. Well, thank you for having me, and I really appreciate it. Listen, as as and I, I pleaded with you to come on because you did such a great job of speaking uh, at, at our Greater KW Chamber's annual International Women's Day event uh, last Friday, which was the fourth. Um, and you were on with a panel of women, and and I I I, uh, I said I've I inadvertently agreed to do five of these. Uh, uh, these Friday sessions on uh, on Kitchener today, and I said I, I need smart people that make me sound good. So I said, Jennifer, would you come on and do a half hour with me on the show? And you willingly agreed to do that. Um, so thank you for doing that. Number one, I thought maybe the way to start is to maybe talk about International Women's Day, and and you know, I, I'm I'm certainly not a woman, but I my mother is a very much a feminist, and and I grew up in with strong women around me and my family and the importance of the work that they do and the value that they bring. Um, one of the things that, that we, we, while we celebrate International Women's Day once a year, um, one of the things that we, in bringing the panel together was to talk about the things that, are, that women are doing in our communities, in our business community and charities all year long. And we were joined by Wendy Campbell as an example, who was on that panel um, who's the president and CEO of the food bank, but, but you, um, were, were someone that I've gotten to know over the years. And I said to Karen Redmond, chair of the region Waterloo, who founded this event 25 years ago, and she, we helped produce that. She still moderates this. And she, we always say, who are some of those interesting people that people would say, wow, I didn't know that. And I said, there's this great woman it's, 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 uh, that's founded supply, uh, um, uh, um, Simplify Supply Chain Solutions named Jennifer Saberis. She's a black woman, really dynamic, great, great, uh, great person, really energetic in the, in the chamber uh, movement or, or in our membership. And she said, yeah, let's do it. So we were both really impressed with, uh, with, with you, not only speaking in front of a, a virtual crowd of over 300 people, but you you have such a great story, and so I thought I'd want to sh- if you could share a little bit of your journey uh, in in founding a very very successful local company. So I, I don't know where you want to start with that, but why don't you why don't you start at chapter one? How did you get started? Because it's it's pretty interesting story. Well, again, thank you very much for having me and, and for that very kind uh, intro. Um, so I got started in uh, supply chain by accident. I kind of fell into it. Um, I came from the uh, healthcare field, and uh, although I, you know, completely support that field, it just wasn't for me. Um, and uh, so I kind of was at a point where I'm, I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. And I, uh, I got a little job at an engineering company, and where I was sitting was uh, very close to the receiving doors. And I just thought it was the coolest thing seeing the the drivers interacting with the shippers and the receivers. And I don't know, there was just something about it that I just thought was the coolest thing. And just how everybody was, you know, cordial with each other. And, and so I kind of fell into the field and, and I got a, a, a position as a logistics coordinator, a dispatcher um, at a, one of the largest transportation companies in Canada. 
And through that experience, I fell in love. Um, you know, in the world of logistics, you either absolutely love it or it makes you want to pull your hair out. <laughs> and even though you love it, you still want to pull your hair out. Um, but the joy of logistics and transportation is, is once you solve, uh, you know, the, the riddle of it, uh, it's, it's quite exciting and, and very rewarding. Um, and so I moved my way up um, through um, the transportation world um, from, you know, dispatcher to, you know, supervisor, manager, eventually to the VP of operations. Um, and, you know, I just, I loved it. I loved seeing all the different aspects of, of how uh, transportation and logistics world worked. But on my journey, I realized there wasn't really a lot of women and there certainly wasn't a lot of women that looked like me. So women of color um, and just a diverse background. Um, what I saw through uh, and I still continue to see is, is as you go up through the different ranks or different positions um, in, in most companies or some companies, um, especially transportation, uh, there, there isn't very many roles that are occupied or senior roles occupied by uh, women in operations. And for me, I'm a really a, a big believer of, uh, you know, it may, may sound cliche, but, you know, be the change you want to see. Right. And for me, I really had to stop and think about it and, you know, kind of make a decision to go, OK, I seem to be OK with, you know, I seem to be a little smart with what I'm doing because I was able to, you know, move up through different companies. Um, and on that journey of moving up in different companies, there was a lot of. Um, a lot of pushback. Um, you know, I can tell you stories of, you know, I've had HR people tell me that I shouldn't have my hair out because it offends somebody. You know, thinking about that now, you know, people go, oh my gosh, but this wasn't even 15 years ago. Um, you know, obviously we've seen it change from then, but so yeah, so I, I called my husband one day and I said, you know, I think I'm going to, you know, I think I'm going to kind of resign from my position um, and, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to start uh, this company. And uh, he said, OK, well, come on home. I'll, I'll make you some uh, mushroom soup and a grilled cheese, which is what I eat when I'm stressed out. Um, and I, I repeated it to him and I said, no, seriously, I, I think I'm going to quit my well-paying job um, to start this journey of mine. And he was 100 percent supportive. And when I did get home, I did have my grilled cheese and mushroom soup. But, um, you know, starting the business, it was, you know, just like most entrepreneurs, you think, you know, it's going to, you know, you know, there's going to be some difficulties. But um, it took me almost two years to get my first contract. And throughout those two years, you know, I was kind of going and seeing different potential customers and, you know, and trying to figure it out. There was many tears that were shed, um, but it really did, uh, you know, when I got my first contract, it was, it was phenomenal. You know, I drove my first, I drove the first van to pick up the product. Right. And um, it was amazing. And now we're over a hundred vehicles strong across Ontario. Um, you know, we have dry and refrigerated vans and, uh, it's been it's been an incredible journey, um, and you know I'm just with you know partnerships with you know the KW Chamber Kitchener Waterloo Chamber. Uh, I mean it wouldn't be possible to kind of you know how I've evaluated uh, you know how I've grown was because of the help of the chamber. 
let, let's let's drill down on that. I mean, because because every small every successful business, and you have I don't know how many employees, but it's a big number now. But you mm-hmm. started that company when it was you yourself, and that was it. Um, uh, tell me how many employees you have, how many trucks you have, and, and what I found interesting was not only the types of truck that you have. The types of clients you have, because everyone is a small, I have a small business consulting practice. You think no one's going to hire a small business, right? Like, I'm going to go with the big companies. You've got some Fortune 500 companies that you're doing supply chain logistics for um, now. So maybe to kind of describe a little bit of that that evolution and the types of, you know, products that you're moving and where you're moving. Because I I found it fascinating that that, uh, one of our small businesses, is has grown into a sizable operation, um, and you're you're dealing with the biggest of the big companies. Yeah, so it's it's actually really interesting. Uh, you know, within that two year journey of starting my business, um, you know, I went after a lot of medium sized companies, small sized companies, and they wouldn't touch us. They wouldn't touch me. There wasn't an us at the time. Um, <laughs> yeah. And it was funny. And, and about a year and a half into it, I went because you know I. Had, taken all my savings. I put everything on the line uh, and really put a bet on myself that, you know, I would do well. And, you know, I was holding strong in the beginning, but, you know, after a little bit where, you know, the funds are running low, you start to question yourself. Um, But then I started going after the large companies and surprisingly enough, one of the largest companies in the world uh, put a bet on us and uh, gave us our first, I said, you know, let me in the door, let me do one load one route, it was uh, for final miles, so uh, home delivery. And I said, let me do one one load. And it was, uh, I think it was about 100 packages. Um, and we did that. And they were very happy. And then we kind of grew to, okay, let me do five loads, 15, 20, 40, and 60 uh, over time. And, and then we started getting uh, more and more customers because we had the, you know, obviously the vehicles that we have, again, you know, you see a lot of the larger trucks, the 53s, the 40 foots that have those dry and refrigerated where with final mile, like the vehicles we have with the cargo vans, um, you don't see very many people that have not just the dry uh, cargo vans that are extended high roof that can do hand bombing and pallets. But we also have the refrigerated units, um, which we just brought into our fleet uh, in 2021. Um, and so, you know, for us, it was more about we, we started getting traction because of our quality. You know, in, 20, in 2020, we delivered uh, 1.2 million packages. 2021, it was, uh, or sorry, 20, 20, 2018, it was around that 500,000, then went up to a million um, packages. 2020, 2020, 2020, it was, uh, I think, 2 million, 2021, 2.7, and, uh, or 3.7 in 2021 with a 99.87 delivery success rate. So that means 99.87% of the time, you are getting your packages um, and we take pride in, uh, in our, in our quality. So as we've grown, we've really made sure that we maintain that quality. Um, but we're also providing, uh, you know, we've also pivoted and adjusted to, you know, help those sectors like the restaurants, like the producers, like the, you know, the live companies where, you know, when they had to pivot and change, it was kind of, how do we get our product to the customer? Right. How do we get that, you know, our meats, our frozens to our customer? And we saw that need and we added those refrigerated units to our our fleet. Um, And so 
so yeah, it, it was very interesting. Um, it was very interesting when we when we started getting the larger customers. Those were the only ones that wanted to kind of um, entertain us, and you know, and we still do it now uh, when we start new customers. Is give us one load. If you yeah. don't like how we are, you know, we've got a, a three month trial, but it's non committal. Give us one load. See if you like it. If you like our quality, um, then let's continue. Let's open the conversation. But we really walk the walk instead of just talking the talk. Well, it, it's an amazing story. I, I mean, I enjoyed it the second time, too. But I was because I was not on duty. It was Karen that was asking the questions. But I was uh, fascinated when I was watching on my computer screen last Friday morning. Uh, it was such a great story. You know what it strikes me, and I just thought about this right now, as you said, you kind of bet on yourself. They always say that about, and if, I'm a Raptors fan, so Fred Van Vliet, the un, undrafted uh, guy, and he said, I bet on myself. And it sounds to me like Jennifer Saberis bet on herself and Fred Van Vliet bet himself, and you're both superstars in your chosen field. So listen, oh, great, great story. Um, if you'll hang on and come back after our news break, I want to just uh, wrap it up. There's a, you know, and kind of have a, have a sense of where you think supply chains are going and where you think as the, as we come out of the worst part of COVID where we're going. So just hang tight. If you would, uh, we're going to take a, a quick news break and we'll be back with more with uh, Jennifer Saberis. She of course is the CEO of Simplify Supply Chains Solutions. This is Kitchener today on City News 570. Welcome back to Kitchener Today on City News 570. I'm your host, Ian McLean, President and CEO of the Greater Kitchener Waterloo Chamber of Commerce. We are still joined by my good friend, Jennifer Saberis. She is the CEO of Simplify Supply Chain Solutions. Jennifer, thanks for holding on as we went uh, to our break. Uh, last few minutes that we have, and I, I was thinking about this, um, you know, for, uh, again, from your from your great um, uh, 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 your great uh, comments at our International Women's Day last Friday. There was one anecdote that I found really interesting. Um, I think you probably found it more irritating, and many women will find it. But I, it certainly was one that resonated, and I, I've seen this with my own mom and dad and their dynamic in certain circumstances. But you described a situation where. Um, as the CEO of a, comp- a very successful company, you just didn't get the same. And, and this kind of speaks to being a black woman in, a, in what would effectively be mostly a, ma- a, a white man's business. Tell that story because I found it uh, both troubling, fascinating, and I a really loved the way you handled it. Because I have two daughters, and I keep telling them this is the type of way that you need to address uh, these types of situations. Take it away. Yeah, absolutely. So we were starting a a fairly large contract um, and uh, the person was taking me around um, the inside of the warehouse where we would be parking our vehicles. And uh, this was a senior level VP that was taking me around this this location. And uh, so he's talking to me and he's saying and he's been in meetings with me. So he understands what my role is as CEO. And so he says, so you're uh, we're walking and he says, so you're friends with the CEO. And I said, uh, no, I am the CEO. And so we walk a little bit more and he kind of looks at me and again, so again, and he says, so you know the CEO, like you're, you're close with him? And I said, no, no, I am the CEO. 
So we walk a little bit more and then he stops and he says, or he's walking and he says, so like you're, you know, the CEO's family well, like, you know, you're close with them. And I stopped and I looked at him and I said, so one day Simplify didn't exist. I thought about it. I worked really hard and now we're standing here. I am the CEO of Simplify Supply Chain Solutions. Stop asking me that question. Are we clear? And he looked at me and he went, okay. And he kept walking with me. And here's the thing is that shouldn't happen. This wasn't too long ago. This was a few years ago. Uh, and, and a lot of women still have, um, you know, I can tell you when I've gone to buy vans and, you know, somebody wouldn't sell me two vans. Uh, and I went to uh, Alora, uh, Elmira Dodge, who was fantastic. No problems, got my van. And I lined up my vans at the other Dodge dealership to, to kind of, other dealership to say, hey, like, you know, you, you got to treat everybody equally. Right. So, you know, we still face those things today. And that's why International Women's Day is so important. And having people, you know, uh, visibility in, in leadership roles, um, because, uh, you know, being visible is really important. Right. Being, you know, for women across, whether it's young women or women of any age, it's important to have uh, representation and still in uh, and still in my field, in many fields, you don't see a lot of, uh, you know, women, uh, especially women of color uh, in, in leadership roles. So, you know, I'll keep uh, doing what I have to do to, uh, to, to pave that way. And, and, you know, anything I can do is, uh, you know, that to make a difference in that is, uh, makes me very happy. Listen, you know, I, I think that, that that is, that is, as you say, troubling, but, uh, but also empowering too, that, that uh, you're, you're, you know, rightfully standing up for yourself. And I think it, even as you broaden that out is, you never know who you're in. nowadays. Not everyone wears a suit if they're the manager. You don't know who you're dealing with. You don't know who the customer is. You don't know what their story is. And I think it's certainly um, as we, as we think about you know um, diverse workplaces, uh, we, we've got to get away from those uh, those embedded inherent kind of biases that we all have. Listen, we're we've got about literally forty seconds left, so I, I'm gonna I'm gonna squeeze in one more thing. We're coming out of the pandemic uh, or some of these restrictions that's obviously impacted you, your family, everyone. Give me your kind of 30 seconds on if you looked into your crystal ball, what do you think the next three to six months is going to look like? Well, I I agree with uh, one of the speakers said earlier, you know, continuing some of the, uh, you know, um, preventable things that we can do, washing our hands, social distancing and, and just being mindful. And I think, uh, you know, if we continue those measures, um, then we're going to have a much clearer outlook. And, and again, we want to really support the local community, the restaurants and, and you know, all the small businesses that are here. Uh, and I think if we continue to do our part, then those, uh, those businesses will continue to thrive. So wash your hands, uh, be mindful, cover your mouth, don't come into work if you're not feeling well. Always good advice and, and, and really appreciate taking the time out of your busy schedule to join us today. We've been joined by Jennifer Saber, she's the CEO of Simplify Supply Chain Solutions. Appreciate your time today. Thank you very much. All right, and it's time for a news break. Uh, coming up after the break, we're going to be joined by a good friend of ours, Catherine Fife. She's the MPP for Waterloo. This is Kitchener Today on City News 570.
Welcome back to Kitchener Today on City News 570. I'm Ian McLean, your guest host today, President and CEO of the Greater Kitchener Waterloo Chamber of Commerce. And as promised, we are joined by Catherine Flight. She, of course, is the MPP for Waterloo, good friend of, uh, of us at the Chamber of Commerce, works very closely um, uh, on all things related to the region of Waterloo uh, and certainly uh, the riding of, uh, of Waterloo. Welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us. Good afternoon, Ian. Pleasure to be here. Now, you are an expert at doing all kinds of interviews because I know they've had you on these types of things before. It took me 11 years. I, and you've come on business to business many times, but it took 11 <laughs> years of practice before they would trust me with a live radio show. So thank you for taking pity and joining us today. Uh, it's not pity. I'm happy to uh, share what's going on at Queen's Park. And I, I am surprised it took 11 years because you are a prolific speaker. Let's be honest. <laughs> Well, talking a lot and saying anything intelligent are two different things. You say the intelligent stuff. I can just talk a lot. Listen, um, we're um, we've we're the, some of the public health measures are being lifted, so we can there could be some evaluations on whether it's now or future. But we are seeing the end towards coming to the uh, the end of COVID. Um, so maybe we can we can talk about that in a minute. But I think what's what's coming up quickly. Is the um, is the election and the, and, a, and a budget? But let's start with that COVID. I mean, how are you feeling about where we're at in the in the pandemic? Um, because it, it leads to what's next and and a budget and an election. Um, but how are you feeling about uh, from your vantage point where we're at in the pandemic and how we're uh, how we're we're starting to come out of it? Yeah. Well, listen. I mean, there's no denying. I mean, COVID uh, fatigue is very real. Uh, it's been a tough two years, many challenges. I think today is actually the two-year official anniversary yeah, world of when world. the pandemic was called. And um, I, but you know, there are some lessons that I think that we should have learned uh, by this stage in the in the pandemic. And and there's also conflicting messages that come from uh, the Ontario Health and Science Table uh, with Dr. Uni, and then the. Provincial Medical Officer of Health, Mr. Kieran Moore. So we, you know, we have, we've been trying to push the government uh, to recognize some of the financial impact, particularly for businesses. And I do want to let your listeners know that today is the last day that uh, businesses can apply for the third round of the small business grant. It has been a very frustrating process. I know for many businesses, it's a, there's not a lot of transparency there, Ian, and the communication has not been great either. However, I mean, the, you know, particularly the restaurants and hospitality sector have been really clear. They need to get to those that patio season. They they're really on a razor's edge. And um, this $10,000, while many do not, m- many feel like it's not a- enough, may, that it's not adequate, but it, it may keep the wolf from the door. So we are, we are putting that information out there just as the last day. Uh, to date, it's been slow. And there was an article in the Globe and there's an article in the Toronto Star. And basically they're saying, where's the money? And, you know, my job at Queen's Park is to follow the money mm-hmm. as the finance and treasury board critic for the official opposition. And it seems that, you know, they have used a lot of the federal, the federal funding that was pandemic related, either for healthcare, education, uh, employer support. 
that's, uh, you know, they didn't get that money out the door. And that is why the financial accountability officer has said that the contingency fund is worrisome at that $5.5 billion is, is there. And this also ties into the election uh, because, uh, you know, there's a lot of speculation of how that money is going to get spent when we are, I think we're 56 days away from the election starting and, um, you know, that, sorry, 40, 54 days until the election starts and uh, 50 days until the now budget is due out. So, um, so yeah, there's, there's a lot going on at Queen's Park. Uh, tensions are high, uh, not surprisingly, uh, this close to an election, especially when the predominant emotion that we're hearing at the door, and I've been out several times, is anger. Anger is the character in this election, which will determine, in many instances, who gets elected. Yeah, and I, I think one of the one of the pieces is you know just related to COVID, and, and I think you and I have talked about this, but certainly the best Waterloo, the business economic support team, so the two chambers and Communitech and Explore Waterloo, which is hospitality and tourism and Waterloo Economic Development Corp, is what we're hearing from our from our business colleagues is in for many and for by that hospitality tourism um, retail. That, that are supposed to be served by the small business grant, many have been left behind because we know that reopening doesn't mean recovery for many of these businesses. Like um, we, we know, and you know, you've heard this and I think everyone already acknowledges there are shortages in every business sector. We know that there are open jobs. We don't have enough people for them and businesses can't operate at full revenue when they're not fully open. And, and so I think that's one of the, 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 the things that, uh, as we think about the election and, and the recovery is it's not going to happen overnight. And that's one of the cautions that, that, that we are feeling is everybody, every individual and every business is going to treat this reopening in a, in a different way. And they're, they're going to reflect and, and, and do what's right for them. And it's going to look different. And so. Um, and then I just want to circle back. I want to circle back to your original question that, and cause it ties into that is that, you know, the, the, as of March 21st, masks will not be required. Um, so the provincial medical officer has, you know, said who who works under the Ministry of Health. I just want to say the, the the provincial medical officer of health is not an independent officer of the legislature. We do have legislation to asking for that to be the case. Uh, but the health science people and Dr. Uni has said, you know, two more weeks for masks, uh, is particularly in schools and daycares and high, high, you know, high, high areas of traffic, if you will. Now that for businesses, this really does squeeze them a little bit. And I've, I've had roundtables in Ottawa and I met with the chamber, provincial chamber, is that, you know, there are some businesses who are going to want to keep masks because they have, you know, maybe they have younger children, maybe they're immunocompromised. And so this is, this, this tension now may arise. And, and this has come up many times in meetings is that it would be easier if the provincial government said, you know, two more weeks so that it doesn't become an opt-in, opt-out situation. And and I, know, I listen to 570 all the time. I know your listeners actually feel very strongly about this issue. And that ties back into the COVID fatigue as well. No. So, yeah, it's it could it could get messy. And yeah. I don't think that it needs I have, to I have no doubt it's going to get messy because we're already hearing from our members. And not only about the needs and desires of customers around masks, but or the business owners themselves, what people can't ever lose sight of, those businesses can't open up if their staff don't show up for work. So if their staff don't feel safe themselves and say, 
not coming to work, business isn't opening anyway. So this is where, you know, at the top of the show, we had Barry Verbanovic saying, we need to be respectful and show some grace because everyone will look at these, the lifting of restrictions and apply them to themselves or business uh, in different ways. And I think that for sure is going to be a problem, um, but we certainly are encouraging people to do what's right for them as an individual, for their family, mm-hmm. for their employees, and for their business. It, it does tie back to confidence, though, too. I mean, it, people are not going to go to restaurants if they don't feel that you know health health and safety protocols are being followed. So yeah. that's what I've heard from businesses. I've said they've said to me, "Listen, we're going to maintain these standards because we want people to feel safe coming to our." And so they're they're absolutely connected together. Yeah. And uh, you know, at the same time, you have the the provincial government, you know, using tax dollars to advertise about how everything is great now and the pandemic is over. And then you have the reality here where you know, they could be using some of that money to have regional marketing and advertising programs to really encourage people to to get out there and to inform them about the health and safety practices in businesses. So, yeah, no, no, as, we, as we're now we're coming up to and, and you can make comment on the budget. Uh, there was a budget guarantee. They were they're sort of not uh, uh, they're, they're going past that date. But certainly one of the things that that we are hosting uh, and thanks to you, uh, we're, we're certainly having uh, Leader Horvath, I think, on March 30th, come and do an event. We have uh, your colleague, Mike Schreiner, on the show in a little bit, but he's actually coming to town. Stephen Del Duca from the Liberals, as well as the Premier, to do a provincial leaders series um, in advance of the provincial election. But before we get to that provincial election, there is supposed to be a budget. Why don't you talk a little bit about uh, the date that's been selected and why that's because, uh, I mean, most people won't be aware of this, but yeah. um, there, there was a budget guarantee in terms of presenting it by a certain date. What, what, what What's happened on that front? Yeah. So, I mean, one of the, you know, when the conservatives won uh, in the last election, they rebranded themselves as, you know, fiscally responsible and introduced legislation that would tie their hands and guarantee by March 31st, that uh, a budget would be uh, developed and presented so that the people could, the people of the province and we as legislators could have some accountability and do some due diligence around that budget. They put it in legislation uh, in 2019. Not only that, the budget guarantee would, if the premier and, sorry, the finance minister didn't table the budget by March 31st, that they would fine themselves 10% of their salary. So this uh, this did actually happen last year uh, when Rod Phillips, who's now left politics, uh, was was late in delivering the budget. Um, and but they just introduced Bill eighty four last week, uh, which removed that which removed that guarantee. And uh, much ado was made about this. I just want to say, I mean. Uh, and and listen, we weren't against it. Uh, you know, as the official opposition, we want to see the budget. We want to do our jobs in the legislature. Uh, and, uh, and you know, the government of the day said, you know, when the liberals were in power, uh, they didn't meet their financial deadlines. There was no transparency there. And, and I agreed with them at that. And so this was their opportunity for Doug Ford to just like to sort of distance himself or or rebrand himself as very different than the liberals and at the end of the day they've done exactly what the liberals have done in the past and that is 
you know, the budget is a moving target. Uh, that does not add to, that doesn't add confidence uh, for investment into the province. It certainly makes life complicated as well for those not-for-profits and those agencies whose fiscal year is March 31st. So we are, this is the speculation, and I will be clear, it's definitely just speculation, but they will likely do what Kathleen Wynne did in 2014, where you drop a budget, it will have a lot of money in it, like not a, just a chicken in every pot, but you know, promises after promises after promises, but there's no accountability that it's actually real. It's essentially a work of fiction. And uh, that really, that undermines our democracy. It undermines, you know, one, it, I mean, it challenges every concept that, you know, the government actually is presenting uh, you know, a healthcare plan, an education plan, a, an, a, a, an economics plan for the province. And at the end of the day, whoever wins, that budget doesn't really mean anything because it has never passed in the legislature. Mm-hmm. So when, when Kathleen Wynne did this in 2014 and Doug Ford is going to likely do the same thing. Well, it does lead to, uh, it, it does lead to the election, um, in, in, which, which is on June 2nd. So it's uh, it's coming up quick. Um, from your perspective, and I'm sure we'll hear, we're going to have a fireside chat with Leader Horvath on uh, March 30, 30th. Um, but give us a sneak preview of what's the NDP plan. Because one of the things, and this is the theme that you'll hear from us and my best Waterloo partners when we do this on behalf of business and the community, is what's the plan to reopen Ontario and stay open um, as we come out of COVID? Because those are got to be, we can't have schools closed down. We can't have businesses closed down again. What's the plan to support healthcare, um, education, housing, all of the things that we know have been um, at the center of why we've had to close down. So what's the NDP, what are the key themes or planks of the NDP plan for staying open? So we, we've looked, uh, we've looked, we've listened to people across the province uh, affordability is the number one issue right now. I mean, when I was knocking on doors last Sunday, uh, housing costs, the cost of rent, the cost of insurance, uh, particularly for commercial operators, uh, and then also childcare. Uh, so we have we our platform will be reflective of what we've heard and address some of the cost pressures, particularly in healthcare and education. Now. On the education front, we cannot cycle back. Uh, if, we, if there's another you know, variant that comes through Ontario, we should be doing everything that we can to make sure that the air quality and the air ventilation systems in our, in our schools uh, are appropriate and so that safety is at the forefront. Um, you know, and that also would be a huge local economic generator for, for the HVAC companies that exist across the province. Uh, To date, that has not happened. I mean, one in every five classrooms in Waterloo Region District School Board has a HEPA filter. Uh, That is inappropriate. And so that is why I point to that $5.5 billion, because I do like to follow the money, is that that's a missed opportunity to actually interrupt these cycles of closures. But also, so that's a health and safety issue. And it's also, it's a maintaining and strengthening confidence in the economy. Those things go hand in hand. Uh, on the healthcare front, you know, we have, you know, we now have a full understanding, Ian, of how closely our health and well-being impacts the economy.
economy, there is no excuse now to not acknowledge where those cost pressures are. Uh, the home care system in the health, under the health care file needs to be able to alleviate the pressure on our hospital system where, you know, you should not have seniors in our hospitals at $1,000 a day for an alternative level care bed when that senior wants to be in home and needs that needs those home care services to actually meet the needs of, of that senior or, or that disabled individual. So there, we are very, we're very focused and being very strategic on where we would invest to alleviate the cost pressures on the health and education budget by reinvesting in alternatives. Uh, our housing plan is a five-point plan, which actually uh, we've shared openly for many months now because, you know, without shelter uh, and without housing options, uh, we've seen a mass exodus of talent out of Ontario to Quebec, to New Brunswick, and to Nova Scotia. So we, our, our vision, we've learned from the, from the Ford government's mistakes, and you will see that clearly reflected in our platform. All right. That, that's great. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back on the other side of the break, we'll, we'll have more with MPP Catherine Fife. She's the MPP for Waterloo. This is Kitchener Today on City News 570. Well, we're back on Kitchener today on City News 570. I'm Ian McLean, uh, President CEO of the Greater Kitchener Waterloo Chamber of Commerce, and continuing in conversation with my good friend Catherine Fife. She is the MPP for Waterloo. And uh, before the break, we covered off a great many things, um, Catherine, from the budget date to coming out of COVID and moving into the election campaign, June the second. We have a few minutes left, and I thought I'd take a couple of uh, a couple of minutes to. I've been asking this as the question today, and it's partly because as we have see more public health restrictions being lifted, and it feels as though there's a, a page turning. Looking to gaze into your crystal ball, what do you kind of see over the next three to six months? And the, and you can answer whoever you like that. It's kind of an open blank page. <laughs> well, I do. I mean, listen, uh, this election uh, will be... Uh, unlike any other. And so we, you know, obviously the premier's in full campaign mode. Uh, the House is is pretty messy right now. Uh, the legislature and tempers are running high. A lot of people have decided not to run because the whole nature of politics has changed somewhat. I mean, uh, I, you know, I'm, for me, uh, when I talk to people on the doors, uh, that affordability question is huge. And it's everything from, you know, food costs to uh, childcare. It is incredible to me that the Ontario is still the only province in the country that has not signed on to that $10 a day childcare uh, deal uh, that the federal government has put on the table. Uh, it's, uh, really, it's quite, it's not only embarrassing, it's shameful because childcare sometimes costs parents uh, upwards of what their mortgage costs. And so uh, when I when I said earlier that I feel that uh, uh, the predominant emotion in this election is anger, uh, but also people want to see solutions. And um, but when when you have an election like that, anything can happen. And so we are we're very focused on on you know presenting some hope and some positive energy um, with options. We have some really good candidates running in in Waterloo Region: Karen Meisner in Kitchener Conestoga, Marjorie Knight in Cambridge, uh, Joanne Weston in Kitchener South Hustler, and of course Laura Maylindo in Kitchener Centre. You know, so I. I 
In my view, we have five strong candidates who are going to put forward some positive energy so that people have real options in this election. And, and I'm looking forward to it. The countdown is on. Well, choice is important. People get to make their choice. They get to pick their, uh, pick their, uh, uh, their, their leaders. And uh, that's going to happen on June the 2nd. We are going to do our part at the Chamber of Commerce in partnership, actually, with 570 News. We'll have local candidate forums for each of our uh, four ridings. And, uh, and again, hosting the provincial leaders. So we have an opportunity to hear in long form, not in, uh, in, uh, in uh, bumper stickers, but in, in longer answers about what the plan is for each of the parties, because that's important for not only business community, but for, for everybody, uh, every citizen to know as we get ready for the election. Listen, just before I let you go, in, in a minute or two, um, one of the things that, that you and I have talked about frequently is the importance of skilled trades and, and having, we, we know there's a huge shortage of that in the construction sector for both civil infrastructure, for public infrastructure. Um, you had a proud mama moment, and, and I, I've known this young fellow since he was just a wee lad, um, but you had a proud mama moment this week, and I thought I, I think you should probably share that because I, I certainly am proud of him um, for for what he's accomplished. Yeah, well, I would, thank you for raising the issue of skilled trades. You know, it is a passion, and and you're absolutely right. I mean, we can't build back better if we don't have those skilled trades. And for many years, there's been a lot of stigma, I think, attached to going into that field. Uh, but yeah, my son Aiden did pass his electrician's exam. He got eighty three percent. Uh, it was a five and a half, almost six year journey for him. And I, I, I don't think that people know that it is a really challenging pathway uh, to uh, to take on. I, I think that the, the government has actually just recently introduced some new changes to the curriculum, which would actually encourage uh, ho- hopefully everybody, including women, to enter the skilled trades and really destigmatize um, that that career pathway. I'm happy for him. I, I know that he's uh, he does really good work with a company in, in Kitchener called Wired. He's had great mentors like Don Gosen from Gosen Electric, mm-hmm. and and that's what it takes, right? You need a, a supportive network, but also you have to have a huge amount of drive. And so, yeah, we we're incredibly proud of him. Well, congratulations to Aiden. Thank you for joining us today. We appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule. We've been joined by our good friend, Catherine Feist. She's the MPP for Waterloo. Thanks for joining us today. Always a pleasure. Have a good day. All right. It's time for a news break. Coming up after the news, we'll be joined by uh, our good friend, Bill Creighton. He's the CEO of Chicopee Ski Hill and Resort. This is Kitchener Today on City News 570. Well, welcome back to Kitchener Today on City News 570. I'm Ian McLean, your guest host today. I'm the President and CEO of the Greater Kitchener Waterloo Chamber of Commerce, filling in. Thanks once again to producer Brent and executive producer Brittany for attempting to make me look good. Uh, they're not working with much talent, as I've said before, but it's a fun uh, afternoon to spend with, uh, with you, uh, but also the great guests we've had on today. We're now joined by my good friend, Bill Creighton. He is the Chief Excitement Officer at Chicopee Ski Hill and Resort. Uh, Welcome to the show, Billy. Thanks, Ian. It's great to be here. And you know, the neat thing is all that white stuff here today in March 
So I just want to send a little jab out to that Mike Farwell guy who hates snow and is always talking about spring. Take a look at this, Mike. It's fabulous. Well, and it's good. It's good for you and the ski hill. It must be a great day for skiing um, uh, on this lovely Friday. Um, but let's start at the maybe rewind the tape or not rewind the tape. But let's start at the beginning. Tell us uh, for many people that that may not know. Tell us about Chicopee and as as an organization and how it sort of fits into the community. So it's interesting you say that because many people know Chicopee but they don't really know Chicopee. We got to go a long way back. 1934 is when Chicopee started. And it was a bunch of local businessmen who uh, liked to take ski trips together and decided we should have something here in this community. It started as a not-for-profit volunteer organization way back then. And uh, they really, it was started by like the Dares, the Snyders, some prominent business people in town. And at that point in time, you know, Ian, they really, the business community was strong, like it is today, but those people really thought, what the heck are my employees going to do? And they invested time and money to help the club get going. And, uh, and and the people at that point, too, it was a very much a volunteer organization. They they picked rocks. They put hay down. They cut trails. They they built a, uh, a chalet out of old uh, telephone poles. You know, they really were a hands-on organization at the time. And they went through lots of struggles. Back, yeah. believe it or not, you know, like we all talk about the old snow, but back in the late 40s, early 50s, there were a few years without snow. They were heading out west to ski, and they survived that. The war years, they went down to less than 100 members at Chicopee. They survived that. Uh, there was a time uh, when they were really in trouble financially, and uh, eight local families came together and bailed them out. They fronted the money to Chicopee. They got paid back, but they stepped up to keep the club going. And it's been phenomenal. One of the things that you've been on, you've been on business to business because uh, we, we like to have you on. We, we think it's important that people understand this is a community asset uh, for the region. Um, so it, it, maybe talk about you have a, you, you lease the land from the Grand, Grand River Conservation Authority. You get no government funding. This is all sponsors and the public and um, for with lift tickets, et cetera. This is very much a, a community asset, but it, but you know, t- describe how that all works because I think people should understand that we have this because people use it, and and it's something that if you haven't been to Chicopee, you're missing out. Yeah, I, I think that's a really good point. As a not for profit, one of the things is we we pay a, a lease fee to the Grand River Conservation. They actually. It was owned by uh, three different farmers, and at one point, Chicopee Ski Club went to the Conservation Authority when Conservation Authorities had lots of money at the time and said, please buy the land, we'll lease it back, because they were always worried that one year one of the farmers went rented to them. So that's how the relationship started. We pay a lease there. We pay city taxes, believe it or not, as a not-for-profit that's serving our community. We pay a big nut in, in city taxes, and... and uh, it's true. We haven't we haven't had help, government funding at different levels. Uh, when I first arrived here, the club was in, that's about a decade ago, the club was in some real financial trouble. Um, and at that time, Councillor Barry Vervanovic took me, this was his ward. We had lunch with uh, then Mayor Zare and Richard Perrant, my then president. And I remember we started to eat and it was nice and social. And then Carl just said, hey, Bill, what are you looking for? And he had had a letter from one of his from one of his uh, people 
uh, one of the people in the community. And um, he said, what are you looking for? What do you want? And I said, actually, I'm not looking for anything right now. I said, we need to make this a viable, sustainable operation. Uh, it has to be able to stand and survive on its own. But at that point in time, when we get it there, we probably are going to come and talk to you. And so I'm hopeful that in the future, we will have some uh, networking into government, that sort of money, um, simply because we can operate all day long. We've operated through the, the teacher work to rules. We've operated through winters with very little snow. We've operated now through COVID. And we've proven that we're a sustainable operation in this community. But we do need to have some help to really build out the dream. We can, we can survive year over year, but we really have a big dream. Well, let's talk about that. I think that that's a, it's an interesting story. Um, we've, we've had two years of COVID, and that's one of the challenges that you've, you've had. You've had a good, se- great season, and I think in large part because people were ready to go out and be outdoors and uh, through COVID. Uh, you've set up a very stringent uh, safety protocol so people feel confident and safe uh, that then you're going to keep those in place through the end of this season. But talk about, about what that dream looks like. What are, what are the things that you and your board are thinking about to, to sort of build for that future? Sure, Ian. One, one of the things is if you were here this winter or are coming this winter, uh, the, the lineups at the lifts can be substantial. We, we, we've got a lot of people coming out. We've got a lot of people in the community and a lot of first-time people, mm-hmm. new Canadians, just people out trying the sport. And, and I just want to say, Skiing really is Canada's greatest family winter sport. And I, I say that because the whole family can do it together. And just a little sidebar, we get, we get parents, we, we get a mom riding with her 16-year-old son who never talks to her at home, but on a chairlift, they end up having a conversation. So we mm-hmm. hear that sort of feedback. We get them skiing together. You know, one can go down a tough run, one can go down an easy run. They group up at the bottom and away they go again. So, so it really is Canada's greatest family winter sport. But talking about the dreams, I, I started to say the lineups are getting longer. So one of the dreams is uh, not this summer, but the following summer, we'll put a new lift in at Tenderfoot. It's currently a two-seater lift. We'll go to a four. That'll help change that line issue. That'll And, and we're going to take it right to the top of the hill so that you can access the whole uh, beginner side and into the intermediate side off, off of that one lift. So that'll make a big difference in how we operate, the number of runs people can get, um, so we're excited about that. Uh, the other the other thing is we're looking at the chalet that is long in the tooth. Uh, the roof has needed uh, some work for several years. But, you know, again, I'm, I'm going to talk about this great business community in Waterloo Region. Uh, I, I ran into a guy, Lee Keyswetter, uh, Keyswetter Excavating, and his dad, Roger, had him in racing here when he was a kid. And the Keyswetters have stepped up to help us with the dirt here. We're going to move a lot of dirt. We're going to go up 10 meters in height on the top of the hill. It's actually 540,000 cubic meters. So if you can picture 54,000 truckloads of dirt to come in to expand and increase the height of this hill. So Keyswetter Excavating, helping us with that. And then through them, it's funny how the networking works in this town. It really, this region and this community, it's a fantastic place to live and work. And the networking. So next thing I get introduced to Jeff Schantz at Malul Blamey. And you know our friend Neil Aitchison is there too. And and Jeff steps up, comes and has a look. And we start looking around and, and we start talking about how we're going to do a renovation on this project. And he said, well, we're going to need some help here, Bill. So he brings out Andrew Bosfield from ABA Architects. And, and Andrew and one of his designers, Monica, they start, start helping us 
work on a retrofit to the to the to the chalet and we've got plans there to move forward and really make it a, a community gathering place and uh really spruce it up and and it'll be something for the whole community for years to come well and, and i think that we, it, it is interesting people uh if they're asked uh, the community usually steps up and for, for as you as a not-for-profit but um, and and getting some of that help from Keyswetter and from Malul and 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 ABA Architects and Andrew and his gang. Um, this is this is remembering again back to the earlier point. This is something you're going to finance and fund on your own. It will require other people, whether it's money or time or in kind services, to make happen. What, what, how do you, how long do you see that that taking place? Like what's your what's your window of looking at at, at doing this? Uh, the, the renovations to the chalet and the lift, et cetera? Well, I would think we'll have the plan done by this fall, have everything in, done in the plan that we can actually start to go out and show people the plan and show them the dream, and they can get involved with us at that time. We really were on a timeline with the tenderfoot chair. Uh, we have to do a complete structural audit coming up, but if we sign a deal this fall for that new chair, we can save $80,000, which is a big nut to us, and, and that money can go directly towards the new chair. They'll put off that audit for a year as long as we have a contract and we guarantee there's a new one coming. So um, the chalet we would look to do, hopefully at the same time, we have to work out some financing and we'll have some sponsorship opportunities and, and hopefully we'll have some success uh, with some granting and that sort of thing. And so I would see that happening at the same time. Summer of 2023 is what we're yeah. shooting for. Um, that'll change, that'll really change how we operate. You know, one of our other dreams here, Ian, is that every grade four in Waterloo region gets a ski experience. Mm-hmm. You know, grade threes get a, a swimming experience, but can you imagine if in this community, every kid gets a chance to experience skiing? Now, they're not all going to do it for life, but some will catch on and it'll be a healthy experience for them for the rest of their life. So. Yeah, no, you know, I, I think what's amazing, and I, I'll talk a little bit about um, when you were putting your plan. And last year was a very difficult year. You didn't really get open. And 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 uh, in putting the plans together for this year, I thought was one of the most responsible, safe plans and, and the way it's all laid out uh, in a very difficult COVID environment. But one of the things that has always struck me, and I come out a couple times, two, three times a year, uh, and and your staff are always amazing. They're, you've got a great guest experience. Um, it, it, it's just a, a, a great place to be. You've got rental skis available. It's very seamless. My daughter actually is working for you this year, yeah. helping people getting their boots and their skis and their helmets uh, and making it a fun experience. Um, maybe just reflect on, on this year. Like you have, you have done, I think, extremely well in a COVID environment. And and that's made it more difficult. And so we, I think we are all looking forward to next year when we don't have to go through that. But maybe t- just talk a little bit about the, the uh, some of the, the issues that you faced this year. Well, you know, it's interesting because we are a risk-averse company. That's our mandate. We put people up in the air. We have to be a safe place to go. And we carried that right through with our COVID protocols. You had to have proof of vaccination. Even though I was on the committee with the ministry that fought not to have to have it, we wanted to step above the regulation and provide that that secure feeling for our patrons and our staff. And uh, and the masking, you didn't necessarily have to wear that outside of a ski hill if you went to Blue Mountain. But for us, we wanted people to feel safe. 
And then, and then when uh, Premier Ford decided to uh, take away the proof of vaccination, we stuck with it because we only had 20 days left in our season and we had made that commitment to our staff and, and to the people who signed up with memberships and season passes. So uh, they were grateful for that. And uh, we do. We also look forward to next year when we're back to a normal. We're all just out there feeling the breeze in your face. Yeah. No. It's it's uh, it's uh, it's it's been a struggle for many, particularly in hospitality and tourism. And and certainly we've heard. A, I've had a front row seat helping and working with you uh, to get through some of these things. But uh, kudos to you and your your executive team and your and your uh, seasonal staff for, for doing such a great job. Listen, we're going to take a, a quick break. We'll be back with more after the break with Bill Creighton, CEO, the Chief Experience Officer at Chicopee Ski Hill and Resort. Uh, after the break, this is Kitchener Today on City News 570. Welcome back to Kitchener today on City News 570. I'm Ian McLean, President and CEO of the Greater Kitchener Waterloo Chamber of Commerce and your guest host today. We're back on the line and joined by Bill Crate. He, of course, is the Chief Excitement Officer at Chicopee Ski Hill and Resort. Uh, before the break, Billy, we were talking about, um, about the, the, the Chicopee itself and the history and the goals and the dreams that you have. And, and how you've come through this this past season. But one of the things that and I always, I, I want to make sure that people actually get is Chicopee is a not-for-profit. It is something that is a community asset and is, to a large extent, yes, you have a, a, a paid staff, but volunteers, sponsors, and helpers make, make Chicopee work. Um, you know, talk a little bit about the importance of that to your operation. Because it's not dissimilar to a chamber of commerce. Volunteers make our organization work. Right, for sure. And, and you know, the main piece of that is I have a really fantastic board, a governance board here that helps with the direction of where we're going, kind of sets those guidelines <laughs> and goals. And uh, they, they've been fantastic. And I really have in the community, they're a sounding board for me in all different walks of the business life and HR and legal and those sort of things that can help me guide Chicopee to where we want to go. And and they really are vested. They give that time to us. Um, Chuck Thompson, who was a, a board member years ago, you know, he was up in the lounge just before I came down to do this show with a couple buddies. And and he's not skiing right now. His legs are, he's a senior. and uh, But he's here and he still cares about, about what we're doing. And I always find that gratifying. You know their heart and soul's in it. And my leadership team here, they're working six, seven days a week this year to make it happen. We've had a lot of absenteeism with people isolating and and they do whatever it takes to make it happen here and give our guests the best experience they can get anywhere. Well, I, I can, I can testify to your staff and your volunteers. Uh, Gordy is, uh, is the manager at the, at the rental office has been a great uh, mentor and, and manager for my daughter as she worked for you and, and your your gang your gang um, uh, welcomed our KW girls basketball association for a fun ski night and uh, whether it's the volunteers, the, the occasional staff, or your uh, or your management team are, are awesome. Listen, last few minutes we have, 
Um, I would be remiss if I didn't say we are coming to the, I hate to say this, uh, although Mike will, Mike Farwell will be happy, but <laughs> we're coming to the end of the ski season. So there's a, there's still time. I'm coming out Monday. I'm going to try and drag Greg DeRocher um, out of, uh, out of his office to come and have one last ski with you on Monday afternoon. But tell us about uh, the, the end of the season, March break and, and, and what, what uh, opportunities are uh, available for people. You bet. We run right up to the end of March break, Sunday the 20th, and the conditions are unbelievable for a March break. The snow is fantastic, best you'll find. Days warm up a little. So interesting enough, Ian, we get a lot of people, new skiers during March break. Who would have thought? But the weather's a little better, so they come out and give it a try. And if you're, you want to do that, the thing to do is go to chickpea.ca. You get all the information. We have private lessons. We have Discover Lessons, which give you the whole package. You've got rentals, a lift ticket, lessons. And just a little self-brag, Luke and Alan, who is our director of the snow school, just got his level four. That's the top, absolute top quality in the country. And we've got them right here at home at Chicopee. Well, listen, yeah, and there's there's uh, there's there's no time like the present to do it. I've been out uh, a couple of times this year, and it is absolutely stunning, especially at night. I love skiing at night, seeing the lights of the city, and uh, there's nothing better than than coming down and and uh, spending an hour or two uh, uh, with you and and your gang at the and what I call the jewel of of Waterloo Region. But uh, even though this season's coming to an end, tell us about the best time to buy for next season. Absolutely. Mid-April, and again, chickpea.ca, mid-April, our season passes go on sale for next year, our memberships, and and uh, that's the time to get it, folks. It's the best price of the year. The next price uh, after at the end of April goes till the end of September, and then you're into full retail. So don't be one of those people in full retail. It's an absolute steal here to buy your membership in April. Well, we know that Greg DeRocher will not, of course, pay full retail. So <laughs> he'll probably be one of your first customers uh, in the in the April sale period. So, okay, we got about 30 seconds, 40 seconds left before we, uh, we take a break for the news. Um, I've been asking this all day for everyone, uh, all of my guests. Uh, gaze into your crystal ball. What, where do you see the next three, three months or so as we start to come out of COVID? What's your hope or what, what's, your, uh, what's your thought on where we're going to be? Well, it's interesting because, again, we take a cautious approach to it. Uh, I'm, I'm very happy that they're uh, easing restrictions and we move forward. Uh, we're, we're still taking a cautious line. I hope that next year when, when we get to operational, we're back to a normal situation without masks, without worrying about it. It's a great, healthy thing to do to get out there, get away from the screen time, get your kids out. And I, I, think, I think we're coming back. I'm an optimist, Ian. Yeah, you and me both. We're going to cautiously optimistic, but better days are ahead. Uh, Thanks so much for joining us today. I know how busy you are in the middle of ski season, but thanks for joining us today. We've been joined by our good friend, Bill Creighton. He's the Chief Excitement Officer at Chickabee Ski, Ski Hill and Resort. Appreciate you joining us today. Thanks, Ian. All right. It's time for a news break. And uh, coming up after the break, we'll be joined by the Green Party of Ontario leader, Mike Schreiner. This is Kitchener Today on City News 570. 
Welcome back to City, uh, or sorry, Kitchener Today on City News 570. I'm Ian McLean, your host, guest host today. I'm the President and CEO of the Greater Kitchener-Waterloo Chamber of Commerce. And um, I think we have on the line with us uh, Mike Schreiner. And he, of course, is the Green Party of Ontario leader and the MPP for Guelph. Welcome to the show, Mike. Hey, Ian. It's always a pleasure to chat with you. Well, I appreciate you taking the opportunity. I know how busy you are, and there, it seems to me I've, I've been told a couple of times today that there's an election coming up, so you, you must be busy. So thanks for taking some time out of your day to join us. I'll always have time for you, Ian. And, uh, yeah, I've heard there's an election coming up as well, and uh, I can tell you my staff has me uh, ramped up in terms of the things I'm doing every day, that's for sure. Well, I appreciate it. You've, you've been on, we've had you on uh, business to business uh, several times and always uh, great to, to, to talk to you and the, and the things that the Green Party of Ontario are putting forward. Um, and, uh, and so I, today I wanted to talk to you a little bit about, um, uh, we'll get to the election in, in a minute, but one of the things that we caught my eye and, and uh, we wanted to touch base on is, is the Green Party's launch of Ontario's first ever standalone mental health platform. And I think that's something that's really important as we come out of COVID. We've heard a lot about um, uh, mental health challenges for everyone, whether it's uh, you know, workers, whether it's kids in schools, uh, right across the board. Why don't you kind of walk us through this uh, this platform launch that, uh, that, that you just uh, announced last week? Yeah, I appreciate that, Ian. I mean, the bottom line is, is everything is not okay, especially when it comes to people's mental health. I mean, we were seeing significant wait lists, especially for youth mental health, prior to the pandemic. I mean, 28,000 young people on, on a waiting list, length of wait time up to two and a half years. But that has gotten so much worse during the pandemic. And as people of all ages, and I think it's you know clear everything we've, we've been through. And so what we're saying is mental health is health, and we should fund it uh, and make sure it, that people are provided with accessible, affordable, comprehensive care. And that's why we're proposing expanding the number of services that are available through OHIP. So we actually start treating mental health like we do physical health, that we increase budgets for community-based mental health providers so we can reduce those wait times, and that we also uh, work on uh, preventing illness and really putting forward policies and proposals that you know, promote mental well-being. And we know that will improve people's quality of life. It will improve economic productivity. It will actually save government in money in the long run. But most importantly, it will improve people's quality of life. Well, I think that's important. I and mean, you see this all over, whether it's uh, the, the calls for service that police get. And many of those calls are mental health related more than, than policing in nature. Um, but But, you know, when we look at... At this platform, I, I, I think the part that I, I, I gravitated towards and, and I, I wanted you to kind of maybe speak to is what does the standalone part mean? I mean, is that what you're talking about as being a comprehensive plan that just doesn't talk about kids' mental health? It's, it's overreaching. And, and how would that be implemented? Like, what are the elements of it? Yeah, so, uh, so the reason we, we did a standalone uh, uh, paper was so we could go into levels of depth to show people here are a whole suite of program services, changes to the way in which the mental health care system works right now, and to also be able to emphasize things like prevention and mental well-being. And, you know, the bottom line is, is 
you know, first of all, we need to make the investments to make more services available through OHIP. And let's give you a quick example. So let's say you show up at the hospital with a broken arm and, you know, the doctor comes in and says, oh, hey, we can fix that arm for you, but it's going to take 60 to 90 days. Like that would be completely unacceptable. It'd be ridiculous. And, and nobody would, would, would say that that was okay. But that's what's happening for far too many people who are facing a mental health challenge. And so we're saying, let's make the investment so we can reduce these wait times. And then the next thing is, is when people are oftentimes, you know, finally able to access mental health services or supports, they can't afford it. And so let's make it affordable and let's make sure we provide the kind of comprehensive care people need. And, and, and so that's a big part of the plan is to, is to make those investments and to be honest with people about how we're going to pay for it. And, you know, we've just straight up said this is a $6.5 billion plan over the next four years. And most of the money comes from reversing the premier's decision to eliminate the license stickers uh, fees, which cost the province $1.1 billion a year. Let's invest that in something like a mental health strategy so people can access affordable, uh, comprehensive care. Yeah, and, and I think that leads to the next part of our conversation, uh, the aforementioned uh, a provincial election on June the 2nd. Um, everything for, for a period of time has been obviously and reasonably connected to covid um, and what we're, we're very fortunate, and, and I want to thank you for taking uh, time to agree to um, to join us for the Greater KW Chambers Provincial Leaders Series. I think it's March 21st, if I'm not mistaken. We look forward to having a, a fireside chat with you and drilling down on many of these issues. And I guess the theme which this mental health um, uh, platform would tie into is our view of, of uh, from the business community and from the broader community is, What's the plan for Ontario for opening and staying open uh, in, into the future as we start to come out of, uh, of the COVID period around things like the investments in healthcare and education, hospitals, energy policy, the environment, housing, uh, just to name a few. So maybe, maybe take a, a few minutes to kind of paint the picture for us of what people will hear um, from the Green Party uh, as we start to think about the June 2nd election. Yeah, no, from our perspective, I mean, the, the issue I'm hearing from folks over and over again is affordability and especially housing affordability. And that's why, you know, I was really proud. We released a housing affordability strategy last June that some media outlets have called a master class plan. And what, what I think is innovative about the plan is it's driven by what's the evidence, what's the best practices, and not by ideology or politics. And so, We've put forward plans to both work with the private sector to expand housing supply within our existing built environment, and we've put forward plans to have the province re-engage in putting some money on the table for particularly more deeply affordable housing, uh, because we think we need all three levels of government at the table. We need the public and private sector. We need to be working with nonprofit co-op and social housing providers so we can provide a continuum of of affordability for seniors who want to downsize, you know, young families who want to upsize, first-time home buyers, people who are looking uh, to get into the rental market, and addressing the, you know, issues around chronic homelessness that we're facing. You know, there's a lot of studies out there. For every $10 uh, 
invested in things like permanent supportive housing to address homelessness saved government $22 in health care costs, social service costs, uh, criminal justice and policing costs. To me, those are the kinds of investments we need to be making to, you know, uh, improve people's quality of life and ultimately save money. Of course, we're going to be really pushing, uh, shoring up our healthcare system, uh, both by increasing hospital capacity, but also by addressing things like, you know, what some people have called the shadow pandemic, uh, which is the, the mental health and, and addictions crisis that we're facing in the province. And then finally, Ian, we have to get our economy kickstarted by investing in the new climate economy, which will enable us to, one, address the climate and ecological crisis that we're all facing, and you know, we're experiencing the increasing cost of that with flooding and forest fires and other extreme weather events, but doing it in a way that positions Ontario as a global leader in the emerging markets uh, in, in the new climate economy, whether that's you know uh, mining the manufacturing strategy for electric vehicles, uh, working on battery storage and renewables, working with our agricultural community with bioproducts and biomaterials. I think Ontario can be a global leader in that economy and do it in ways that can help people save money. My gosh, it cost me, you know, five bucks to uh, fill up my electric vehicle plugged in at home overnight while other people are, you know, having to spend over $100 to put gas in their car. Let's make electric vehicles made in Ontario affordable for people so um, we can reduce these commuting costs that folks are facing right now. And that's, that's a, that's an important, uh, important element that we can't lose is that we have to walk and chew gum at the same time. We've been dealing with COVID. We have to be making those investments that you talk about uh, for economic reasons and for, uh, to create jobs and the climate for the, the jobs and the prosperity that we need to pay for, uh, for the services that people need. Listen, I should have probably started with this author yet. It's because you're familiar to me and I know your story. But maybe um, um, tell us about uh, what should people know about Mike Schreiner? Like, tell us about your background. I think it's pretty interesting. And and uh, and uh, you're, you will take the election campaign to introduce not only yourself um, and the platform, but people will want to know who you are and, and, and sort of take a measure of you as leader of the party. What, what should people know about you? Well, you know, first of all, Ian, I'm I'm a I'm a husband and a proud father of two strong, smart uh, young women, and um, I grew up on a farm, believe it or not, in rural Western Kansas. So, I I moved to Ontario in the mid 1990s for love and just fell in love with this province and started a couple businesses uh, in Guelph and have been been an entrepreneur. I've also started some nonprofit organizations, all in the food space. So, you know, you can't take the farmer farmer out of me. And I've uh, been a big proponent of supporting local food and farmers, uh, both as a business person and as a nonprofit leader, and, and now uh, going into politics. And, you know, I really decided to, to get involved in politics because, um, one, I want to improve my community and improve life for people here in Ontario. And I chose the Green Party primarily because I felt like none of the other parties were addressing the, the climate crisis that's barreling down on us. I'm deeply concerned about rising levels of inequality, and I'm always looking for ways to improve our democracy. And, and that's what really attracted me to the Green Party, and especially its policies around how we can address the climate crisis while at the same time uh, improving our economy and supporting entrepreneurs in the new climate economy. And the, the sort of entrepreneur business person in me 
really, really is attracted to putting forward a vision of what economic prosperity looks like uh, in the 21st century and doing it in a way that helps us crush climate pollution and really leave a livable future for for my kids and, and everyone else's kids. Yeah, and, and these are these are big, weighty issues that uh, really deserve to be uh, fully explored in, in the election campaign because uh, there are there are big issues in front of us. COVID one coming out of that, supporting the economy, but uh, but things as you talked about, which are uh, it impacts all of us. Uh, affordability and certainly in housing and the importance of the of the things you've talked about, energy pricing and and, and the environment. Um, so it's helpful to kind of get a measure of your background. I think one of the things that distinguishes us from from other um, uh, other jurisdictions as we elect uh, a premier, we actually elect a premier, but we have 103. Is it 103 ridings now? Anyways, there's over 100 ridings. Now, Ian. 124 in now. I, yeah. I, I'm dating myself. 124 individual elections across the province. Talk maybe a little bit in the last few minutes we have before we go to break about your team and and because you can't do it by yourself. I mean, you're an impressive uh, person um, and articulate. Uh, talk about your team. Yeah, I'm really excited about the team we're putting together. We will be running candidates in all 124 elections and we have a number of, um, I think, just fantastic candidates. Just you know, in in this region, uh, Carl Johnson in Cambridge, who uh, was very highly respected teacher, run the Poppy campaign there. David Weber in um, Kitchener, South Hespler, who is a retired police officer and and just a strong advocate for improving democracy in our communities. We're going to be announcing our, our candidates in all the Waterloo region ridings in the next few weeks. Uh, we have Diane Sachs, who's one of the top 10 international environment lawyers who was the Environment Commissioner of Ontario. Uh, we have Matt Richter up in Perry Sound, Muskoka, who got over 20% of the vote in the last election and I think is poised to have a breakthrough there. A number of small business owners. I think we're really a party of that uh, attracts um, a lot of entrepreneurs and professionals across a variety of professions. And I- I'm excited about our team. Uh, and I'm excited about putting forward our vision about how we can emerge from this pandemic with a greener and more caring Ontario and one that really is skating to where the puck is going in terms of the emerging markets that are happening in the global economy. Listen, that's uh, that's that's important for everyone to understand as, as they look at uh, uh, at the election is there's leaders and there's teams and uh, and it's the teams that, that deliver the change that uh, or the, the policies that people want. So that's uh, that's uh, very uh, important for people to know. Let's stick around with us. We're going to take a few more minutes of your time. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with more with Mike Schreiner. He is the Green Party of Ontario leader and the MPP for Guelph. This is Kitchener Today on City News 570. Welcome back to Kitchener Today on City News 570. I'm Ian McLean, your guest host. I'm President CEO of the Greater Kitchener-Waterloo Chamber of Commerce and erstwhile co-host of Business to Business on 570 News, which is Sunday at noon. That'll do a shameless plug for our program. We're back on the line with Mike Schreiner. He, of course, is the MPP for Guelph 
And as importantly, the Green Party of Ontario leader. Thanks for joining us again, Mike. Hey, it's always a pleasure. Listen, and, and I, I, before the break, we talked about the election. We talked about your your background and the and the the, the team and the and the issues that are more, I would say, more Ontario focused. I wanted to take a minute as we as we look at how integrated we are globally, and you see what's happening in Ukraine and and it just the, the tragedy, the human tragedy there, but it also has an economic and a and a, a climate impact. When we look at at uh, um, oil and gas and and the importance of those still now to the um, to the global economy and what happens with global supply chains, and and so I wanted to kind of get your your sense of um, what's the path between and you talked about the green future and the the economy of the future. I think what some people struggle with, and I must admit I'm one of them, and you do a pretty good job of explaining this. I wanted you to take the last few minutes we have to kind of. Paint the picture of the crisis is now, but what's the path between now and that future you're talking about, and how how should individuals and businesses be starting to look at that in terms of their own their own activities? Yeah, Ian. Well, first of all, I, I don't want to talk about this without just saying, you know, my my heart bleeds for the people in Ukraine and just the horrific images that are coming out of Ukraine. But I also got to say, I'm I'm totally inspired by just the bravery and courage and fighting spirit of the Ukrainian people. And uh, President Lelensky, of course, has just been, you know, his, yeah. his selfie videos and things, I think, have been moving all of us. But I think one of the things that's going to come out of the conflict is an acceleration of the transition away from fossil fuels. I mean, you're already talking about the EU saying, hey, we've got to, we've got to break our dependency on Russian oil and gas. And I think there's a huge opportunity, especially for jurisdictions like Ontario, to supply them with green hydrogen. We have a number of cutting-edge green hydrogen uh, companies here based in Ontario uh, that, you know, we can develop a market for green hydrogen and and supply the EU as they accelerate the transition. I think there's going to be – we're already seeing a major transition to electrified transportation. I mean – you know, you're, I think you're a football fan like me. And, you know, if you watch yep. the Super Bowl, all the car commercials were for electric vehicles. That's where things are going. Again, Ontario is incredibly well positioned to have a mining to manufacturing strategy for electrified transportation and to create the batteries for energy storage to really make uh, renewables low cost and, and more reliable. And, you know, the other thing for Ontario is, is we ship about $25 billion out of our economy to purchase energy from other jurisdictions. I would like to keep that money in Ontario, creating Ontario jobs, generating Ontario wealth. And we can do that through our, our farm and forestry sectors with bioproducts and, and bio, biofuels, biomaterials. Uh, we can do it through the huge opportunities we have with our clean electricity grid, um, generating, you know, that electricity for electrified transportation and the manufacturing that comes with it. I mean, the electrification of our, of our steel arc furnaces now means we're, we're going to be a global leader in clean steel. I mean, there's so many opportunities in this transition to the new climate economy for the province of Ontario. We just have to have the political will to get us there and a government that wants to make those investments because they see the need to one, crush climate pollution so we have a livable future, 
but two, make sure we take advantage of these emerging opportunities, uh, especially uh, in the new clean economy. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's that's really important. Is and this is something that I think people will during the campaign they're going to want to hear that um, the the what's between what's between now and then and then needs to come sooner than than uh, than rather than later. So uh, really important conversation. Listen, thank you. Uh, Mike, yeah, it's uh, you're always generous with your time. We appreciate you taking time of your busy schedule. We hope you're uh, you're staying safe in these on this snowy day. But thanks for joining us today. Really appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. And tell all your listeners, yeah, be safe on the roads, man. It's been snowing here in Guelph all day. Well, there you go. Thanks so much. We've been joined by our good friend Mike Schreiner. He, of course, is the MPP for Guelph and the Green Party of Ontario leader. Listen, that takes us to the end of the show. I want to thank. Big shout out to producer Brent, who made me look a lot smarter than I am. Executive producer Brittany, who made sure all our guests were here on time. Thanks to all of my guests uh, for uh, taking pity and making time out of their busy schedules. Thank you for listening. And I think it's now over to the news wheel. Have a good day.